Um, and so we apologize for that. We had some issues with the, uh, the heating this morning. It didn't, kick, it didn't kick on when it should have. And so, uh, but the good news is that it is working now. The bad news is that it's just going to, because of the size of this room, it's going to take a while for it to get comfortably warm. So apologize for that. So please feel free to keep your coats on if you need to get up and jog in place or do jumping jacks. I, I totally understand. It's the only time that well, that would be acceptable. Um, so feel free to do that. Yeah. I might actually do that myself when I'm up here. Um, and then besides that, um, uh, besides that, uh, the only thing I want to just make sure that uh, we're mindful of is that we are still uh, collecting uh, prayers, or prayer requests for the 2021 uh, prayer booklets. Uh, and so we want to get those in as soon as possible. So please send them in this week so we can get those books uh, produced and then have them to distribute uh, very, very soon. So that's all we have for today. Um, and uh, praise the Lord, uh, we are kind of still in the, in the celebrating uh, Christmas season, right? Uh, celebrating Christ doesn't ever, doesn't ever end just because holiday isn't over. So uh, we're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning. And, uh, and praise the Lord, uh, Devin is back after his uh, vacation and being with family. So And he's quarantined and everything. So uh, it's good to have him back. So let's worship the Lord. And um, hopefully you'll find this to be an encouraging time and a time where you can be um, just uh, minister to as we sing to the Lord and listen to his word. All right, please stand and sing with me. No. Majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to See 
Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul
that you are mindful of him. And what do we have and what do we bring to deserve the love that Christ has shown for us? And this is our only response. Extreme and utter joy. Born the King of Ages. 
This be the posture of your heart. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Jesus, prepare our hearts to receive your word this morning and by your Holy Spirit work in our lives to change us and make us more like Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I did forget to mention one thing and that is that uh, in the back by the table, there is, uh, there are some blankets. If anybody wishes to have a, a blanket and to use that to keep warm, feel free to grab, grab a blanket that's back there in the basket. Uh, I want to actually open with a passage uh, from. That's not it. From Psalm ninety, before we get into a, just a moment of prayer. In Psalm ninety, verse twelve, and. I might actually read this again next week. As we're thinking about the new year, um, it's, uh, some of us get into the, uh, maybe have developed a habit of preparing resolutions or thinking about what we want or desire for the new year, and 
we learn anything from this past year is that our plans and desires can all be just thrown to the wind. So I thought that might be helpful to read a passage from Psalm 90 as we're thinking about the new year. Psalm 90, verse 12, says to us, Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Lord, you are the all-wise God. In your wisdom, you created the heavens and the earth. In your wisdom, you created man and and breathed into him the breath of life. Lord, and even after the fall and the entrance of sin in the world, in your wisdom, you had already determined how you would redeem man back to yourself. And we see that great wisdom in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Lord, we come before you and we admit to you what you already know so well, and that is that we do not have all the knowledge. We cannot look into the future. We cannot see what will happen. And for that, Lord, and for many other reasons, God, we pray and we ask the all-wise God to please give us wisdom. Our lives on earth are just a moment in comparison to all of time and all of eternity. And as we look to the new year, we have no idea what to expect. We can plan for different things. We can make resolutions. We can make commitments. We can look forward to different things that we hope will happen. But there is no thing we can do to guarantee that what we hope will happen will actually happen. And as hard as we might try to keep resolutions, Lord, we, are, we tend to be fickle and we are weak and we oftentimes fail. Lord, so we, we ask for your wisdom, Lord. Your scriptures tell us, tell us that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it generously. And so we pray and we ask for that wisdom, Lord, because we lack wisdom. Lord, and we pray that you that we may seek satisfaction in you. As we understand the brevity of our lives, Lord, may that cause us all the more to pursue God, to pursue joy and satisfaction and delight in him. That not only may we spend our days walking in wisdom, but that we may spend our days delighting in the God who saved us. No matter what happens this next year, we can always find satisfaction and joy in Christ. Lord, so we pray and ask 
You'd give us that wisdom, that you would give us that joy that is only found in you. God, we, but we pray also that you may give us godly desires and ambitions, Lord. Help us to be a people who pray impossible prayers because we serve a God who makes the impossible possible. And speaking of impossibility, Lord God, I just, I pray and ask that you may please, please give us the privilege, the joy of seeing even just one salvation this year. And I pray for one, Lord, not just, not because we lack faith that you can do more, but I pray for one because I know that you can surpass what we expect, that you can do far more than what we can imagine. So Lord, we pray this next year, and we pray that you would save, that we would be able to celebrate somebody coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ and welcoming them them into the family of God. You would give us the joy of celebrating someone's baptism. Help us this year to pray with faith. Help us to put our confidence and trust in you, Lord, to do great things, to save, to do more than what we can imagine, and to give us more than what we even desire. And may you do a wonderful and glorious work in our midst as your people who are called to yourself. We thank you, Lord. We trust you for all of these things. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray now the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn to Psalm 133. So we are going back to our series on the church, kind of the, the marks of the church. And so I apologize because it's going to be a, it's kind of choppy, right? Because last week we were uh, more focused on uh, Christmas or Christmas-themed, and this week we're going back to kind of the, the defining marks of the church, and then next week we'll be doing a, a different sermon and then going back to uh, our series. So it is, will be a little choppy. I hope you can bear with me, but Today we are going back to our, our previous series on the church, and for that we're going to Psalm 133, and today we're talking about a fellowship. In Psalm 133, if you've ever read it before, it's kind of a, maybe a, kind of a strange passage. Probably think of other passages that you would go to when he's talking about fellowship, but it's actually kind of struck by this passage. So Psalm 133. It begins like this. It says, Behold, 
How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that Uh, despite how cold we may feel this morning, that you would help us uh, to be attentive to your word. And I pray that through your spirit and even through your word, Lord, that you would warm our hearts this morning. And I pray that you may be with me and guide me. Lord, and that ultimately that this uh, time, just like the rest of our time together from the very beginning to the end, but also this time as we sit under your word, that this also would be an act of worship done unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of you may have heard of a man, man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German, born in 1906, a Christian, brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, so I have an idea of kind of his, of his intellectual prowess. He presented his doctoral thesis at 21. I was doing a lot of dumb things at 21. He actually turned, he had an opportunity to go to New York and pretty, pretty much establish himself for himself at a pretty prestigious academic career, but instead he turned that down to instead remain in his home and train pastors and to start up in a, a, a seminary, which at the time, this is, mind you, this was during Hitler, the Gestapo, Nazi, and so at the time to have a seminary and to train pastors was actually kind of illegal, and so he did all these things underground. Until finally he was caught and arrested by the Gestapo, and he was put into prison. But even in prison, he served his fellow prisoners and even conducted uh, secret services, which I have no idea how he was even able to do that, but he did. Until finally he was executed by hanging in 1945. He was only 39 years old. Now, one of the things, one of the works that he's known for was a book titled Life Together, and I commend that book to you, but I also will admit that I've actually never read the book. Uh, but in preparation for this sermon, I've kind of I've skimmed it, and I've heard that book quoted so many times by so many different Christians, so many pastors, so many teachers. So that is why I can commend the book to you, because it is that good. But he wrote Life Together, and, the con- and, and during this time when Christian, when assembling for, with other Christians wasn't so easily accessible as it is for us today. He wrote this book as he was training pastors underground, meeting with Christians underground, assembling with Christians underground. And so because assembling with other Christians was something hard to do, he thought long and hard about Christian fellowship. And his thoughts on the subject was what produced this book. It's difficult for us to find the value in something that is so easily accessible to us, something like Christian fellowship. And so I want to sort of 
presents to you a biblical vision of Christian fellowship as one of the distinguishing marks of the church. So we'll begin with the sort of a basis of Christian fellowship. So I started with Psalm 133. And if you've never read it before, you can kind of probably see now why it's kind of, it's kind of an odd passage. It's talking about the beard of Aaron. It's talking about oil and coming on the beard of Aaron. And it's telling us that it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then it, tells, and then it compares that unity to the oil on the beard of Aaron. Kind of a strange way to picture Christian fellowship. You could probably think of other ways to illustrate or compare Christian fellowship. But this is how the psalmist describes or compares Christian fellowship. So what does this, what does this mean? So let's think about first the precious oil, or the oil that is put on the head of Aaron. Now oil, right, if you, if you read through the Old Testament, then you know that oil played a pretty significant role in the life of Old Testament Israel. Right? Because the oil was used to anoint selected individuals for a specific task or purpose. So like for the priests, the priests were anointed with oil because they were set apart by God to intercede on behalf of the people before the presence of God. And so they were uniquely selected for this special purpose. Another one that was another office that was normally anointed with oil was the kings. The kings would be anointed with oil because they were select individuals to lead the people of God in a unique and special way. And so this anointed, there was nothing special in the oil itself, but the act of anointing the person. It was a way that the person or this office or this individual were, was consecrated unto the Lord. They were set apart. They were considered holy for the use of God. And not only that, but the oil that they used was actually, it normally gave off a, 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 a special fragrance. It smelled nice. It's not like the oil that we use for cooking, which I think it smells awful. But it was a, a, an oil that was used that would, that would give off a nice smell. It's kind of like a, like a cologne or perfume. It's intended to smell nice, maybe be a little bit alluring. And then, so it tells us that the oil on the head of Aaron would run down unto his beard and then into the collar of his robe. And so they weren't just putting a little drop on the head of Aaron. They were putting, but I don't think they were also like soaking the guy in oil. They were putting oil on his head enough that it would run down to his face, to his beard, and down to his robes. And so it gives the idea of plentiful. And so what can we draw from this comparison as it relates to Christian unity and fellowship? I mean, by the way, I mean, you cannot have fellowship without unity. So it's telling us that this Christian, that, 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 unish, oh, that, oh, that unity or, or fellowship under the Lord is precious to God. It's precious because the scripture tells us, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. But also we see how precious it is as it's compared to the oil and the head and the beard and the robe of Aaron. And unity, by the way, is intended to be a reflection of the Trinitarian unity of God. Because God is a God of unity. He delights in unity. He produces unity. He cherishes. He loves unity. And so this unity is good and it is pleasant. 
the fact that it's compared to oil or the anointing oil that's used on the, on the head of Aaron is that it is consecrated unto the Lord. Christian unity or, unity or unity under the Lord is special to the Lord. It's consecrated by God. And the fact that this oil had a fragrance to it, it tells us that this Christian unity and fellowship is intended to be somewhat attractional. It's supposed to give off a sort of an alluring fragrance that draws other people in. It's kind of like going into a home and smelling a good meal. It smells really nice. And the fact that it's plentiful, that it's running from the head to the beard and to the robes, it's telling us that there's always more to give, that that this Christian unity and fellowship is something that is plentiful, that it, is, oh, that it always has the doors open, that there's always room to invite others in. And that the more people join this fellowship, well, then the more and more alluring and attractional it becomes, and the more united it can become. So that is how precious and how good Christian unity and fellowship is to the Lord. Attractional, it's consecrated unto the Lord. And that it gives. It's always giving. It draws people in so that it can give. But then we have another comparison. It's saying that, that this unity is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. So what does that mean? So the dew, right? It's dew, like water. Dew or water, it always freshens. It causes things to grow. It causes things to multiply, to produce. It makes things come alive. Right, like watering a seed in the ground. So then what do we draw from this comparison? Brotherhood or Christian fellowship and unity is a means of nourishment to Christians. It's what it's intended to do. When we come together, it's intending to be encouraging to you, to nourish you, especially to hearts that are famished, the hearts that feel like it's just dry, like a desert. It's telling us that there is a lot of things that you can profit from fellowship, fellowship under the Lord. There's a lot to receive, just as there, just as, as, as there is a lot to give. Christian brotherhood is like dew falling on the soil of the heart, causing fruit to grow. The Puritan Matthew Henry, his commentary, he wrote this thick commentary on the entire Bible. But I like it because he really has a good, he has a good way of not only being theological, but also getting to the heart as well. He says, and commenting on this passage, he says that this Christian unity and fellowship, it moistens the heart and makes it tender and fit to receive the good seed of the word. It's nice. So this is the, how precious fellowship is. It's tended to produce, it's intended to encourage, it's intended to make you feel more alive. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you are meeting with another Christian or you're maybe going to somebody's house and having that Christian fellowship and you leave being encouraged. 
And not, it may not even necessarily be something that was specifically said. Or maybe the person wasn't intending to say something to, to directly encourage you, but just being with other Christians, you just leave and you're just like, wow, that was encouraging. Wow, that was nice. There are times when I'm engaging with other Christians, when I have that kind of fellowship, and it just makes me love Jesus more. It makes me like, wow, I want to be in my word more. Oh, wow, it makes me want to be more holy. That's what Christian fellowship does. And then the passage ends by saying, for there, that is, in this unity with brothers, there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So embedded in the fellowship, in this Christian fellowship, is eternal life. We tend to think of eternal life as something that is distant, beyond us, something that we'll, something that we'll get to when we leave this earth and go on to be with Jesus Christ. And that's true. Eternal life is waiting for those who believe in Jesus Christ and love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the scriptures also have a category for eternal life being right now. Jesus says in the Gospels that to know that, that this is eternal life, to know God. Right? And you don't wait until eternity to know God. You know God right now. And here in the passage, and this is, mind you, this is the Psalms. This is before Christ. The psalmist is saying that there, in the context of this unity, the Lord has commanded the blessing. And what is that blessing? Life forevermore. And so in the context of this unity and fellowship, there are benefits of eternal life that we get to enjoy right now that we don't have to wait for when we see Christ face to face. So we get to enjoy these different aspects of these different natures of eternal life right now in the context of Christian unity and fellowship. And we enjoy such unity because we have unity with God. And again, this is the psalmist speaking before Christ. Unity to them was pursuing God, following God's commandments, bringing sacrifices to the Lord before the pres- to the priests. It was meeting in the temple to worship the Lord. But that was their means, their means of unity or maintaining that unity, maintaining that, that fellowship. But now, right, we are in a, different, in a different place. We have a better sense, a better understanding of the fellowship that the psalmist was talking about. Because we have a fellowship that is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because while the Old Testament saints were seeking the Lord and pursuing God and having this fellowship... They weren't reconciled to God. The sacrifices they offered, they offered a, a temporary reconciliation with God. And yes, they, I, I believe that the Old Testament saints were saved by believing in God with their hearts, not, not because they followed strict rules. But they didn't achieve, they didn't have the fullness of, re, of, of reconciliation with God like we have now through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected from the dead so that you and I can have perfect reconciliation with God, have peace with God, have unity with God. 1 John 1, 3, the author writes, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
our fellowship with one another, we have because we first have fellowship with God with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ died to purchase us that gift. Christian unity and fellowship is blood-bought. Through the blood of Christ, we are reconciled to God. And we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. We come into the household of God. We become family members. And that, and this family is precious, precious to God. It is precious to Christ because Christ died for it, because it is sanctified. It is when we come together, it is the church, not the building, but it is the people coming together, assembling together that God needs to fill up with his very presence, with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is holy, and that makes Christian assembly, Christian fellowship sanctified, set apart for God. And it's intended to be restorative. It's intended to be life-giving. So the basis of our fellowship and unity is through Christ. God is the author of this fellowship, and Christ is the one who purchased that fellowship for us and makes it possible to have fellowship with God and with one another. So given that we now have fellowship through Christ and in Christ and with Christ, this fellowship or this brotherhood or this familyhood, if we can call it that, is not an ideal that we, can, that we should strive for, but it's actually something that we have today. It's an experience that we have available to us today. So let's talk about the reality of Christian fellowship. And I say reality because there are some who treat it as a fantasy, walk through life as if this Christian fellowship is just a fantasy, even amongst Christians. Now, what do I mean by fantasy, treating Christian fellowship as a fantasy as opposed to something that is real, available, accessible to us right now? Well, when somebody lives in a fantasy of Christian fellowship, they actually seclude themselves. They have no desire for Christian fellowship. They don't pursue it. They don't initiate in going after it. Those who live in this kind of fantasy of Christian fellowship are content with, and I, and I, and this isn't it's just a, this isn't a blanket statement, but I think this is kind of the, I think this is what Western Christians are guilty of. Many Christians are content with just coming to church maybe once. A month, once every other month, on the holidays maybe, or maybe even every week. But then that's it. But doing so, it's like, it's like me inviting you over for dinner. The table is set, the food is prepared. You accept our invitation, you come over, and you come in, you come into the house and say, you know what, I can't stay, can I just take the food to go? not wanting the fellowship. It's like, being, it's like wanting to be considered a brother in Christ without the relationship. It's like saying, I love you, but I don't care to spend time with you.
And then there are those who may not be living in that kind of fantasy of Christian fellowship, but there are those who dream of fellowship. There are those who desire fellowship and want that fellowship, have a yearning to satisfy the cravings of Christian unity and fellowship and camaraderie, but at the same time are not consistent with reality. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that they are wanting to receive all the time but never give. They want to be pursued without pursuing. And this isn't a blanket statement, but I think the ones who are most guilty of this are my generation, to be quite honest. I think it's millennials. And my fear is that we are raising the next generation to be the same way. Again, it's not a blanket statement. I think there are a lot of exceptions but I think that's generally the case with millennials. From talking to a lot of millennials, being myself a millennial, talking to being at different churches over the past several years, talking to a lot of pastors, this tends to be the tendency. Oh, nobody wants to hang out with me. Nobody's texting me. Nobody's calling me. Nobody wants to hang out with me. Nobody's pursuing me. Nobody's taking initiative. It's like, oh, oh, boo-hoo. I'm sorry, I don't feel bad for you. Because I would turn around and ask you, well, are you doing any pursuing? Are you taking any initiative? Are you texting? Are you calling? Are you emailing? Why does other people always have to be the one pursuing you? They're looking to be served and not serve. They have demands on others and also demands on God that are not realized. And when they're not realized, they get upset. Like, oh, I'm going to go find another church. Now, there are some who are content with just maybe having one or two Christians, friends, that they hang out with, gravitate towards on a regular basis, and it's not bad to have those kind of friendships. But that's like playing favorites with your family members. I'll hang out with this brother, but I won't hang out with this other brother. I'll hang out with my sister, but I won't hang out with my brother. It doesn't mean you can't have any best friends. You should pursue, have prayed to the Lord to give you best friends if you don't have any. But Christ did not die in order to bring you into a clique. Christ did not die in order to bring you into one friendship, but Christ died to bring you into a family. And then there are those who do live in the reality of Christian fellowship. And that Christian fellowship, the ground of that Christian fellowship, of genuine Christian fellowship, is the forgiveness of sins. That's where it comes from. That's where it's founded. And that forgiveness of sins comes from the love of God. And we're speaking about love and Christian fellowship. There's, there's human love and then there's Christian love. And human love, human love tends to love others for, its, for, its, for their own person's sake, or even just for love's sake itself. Human love, my desire for community, my desire to have those yearnings for community satisfied. Human love might have a desire to fulfill the relational needs of another person. And human love, love is is an end to itself. And it doesn't sound bad. It doesn't sound bad at all. 
to live, to love another human being for the sake of their being loved, or to love another human being for your own self, though sometimes, yes, that can be really selfish. It's not necessarily bad to love as an end in itself, but Christian love is different. Christian love loves others for Christ's sake. They understand the love of God and they desire to love others in the same way that they have received the love of God through Christ. Christian love begins with God because our love is grounded in the forgiveness of sins. The thing about love and God is that God did not love us. God did not, or rather, God did not create us because he needed more love. God did not create you and I and the world and everything in it because he was yearning for more fellowship and unity. Because he had that perfect love and unity within himself with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But the reason why he created the world, I'm convinced, is because love cannot help but give. And so when we understand the love of God, we naturally desire to love others in the same way that God loves us through Christ. We love others for Christ's sake. We love others in order to serve and to glorify God. That's the difference between human love and Christian love. And when we want to, re- and we should want to reciprocate that love towards God. And reciprocating that love towards God means doing the will of God. It means being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If we want to reciprocate our love for God, we enjoy his presence. We enjoy being with him. And by the way, doing the will of God, being conformed to the image of Christ, enjoying God himself, those are things that we also do in the context of fellowship. Those are things we do together. So because we now live in this reality of Christian fellowship, well then let us practice Christian fellowship. And I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list of how to have fellowship. I'm sure you can come up with a list of things, a list of things that you can pursue fellowship with one another, with other Christians. But what I want to do, I guess, in these last few moments, is just to provide further encouragement to pursue Christian fellowship, to pursue fellowship with one another. Fellowship provides for us a context to which we can give and we can receive. We can receive and give encouragement. We can receive and give forgiveness when we need to. We can receive and give with generosity or give generously whether it's our time, our energies, perhaps finances, resources. And Christian fellowship is also a context through which we can give and receive love. Now, the pursuit of God is, uh, in solitude is necessary, right? Get alone with God. Pursue God by yourselves. Get into your prayer closet. Pray to the Lord. Seek Him through His Word. That alone time is helpful, it's special, it's precious, it's necessary, But the solitary pursuit of God is dangerous. Understand the difference. Pursuing God in solitude, getting alone with God is helpful. It's necessary. But pursuing God 
alone, that is exclusively alone or by yourself, can be very, very dangerous to the Christian. When you deprive yourself of Christian fellowship, what you are communicating by your actions is that nobody has anything of value or encouraging to say to your life. And you're also saying that you have nothing of value to share with any of your brothers and sisters. And I don't believe that for a second. You don't have anything of value to say to my life. You're depriving yourself of means of grace. We see in the psalm that this is precious, that this is good, that this is intended to make you come even just a little bit more alive. It's intended to make you love God all the more. And you're depriving yourself of that if you're never pursuing Christian fellowship. Now, I'm not saying you're never going to make it to the finish line. If you or I or any of us ever, right, if we believe that we're going to make it to the finish line, and if we make it to the finish line, it is because Christ has kept us to the very end. But we, don't run this, we don't run this marathon alone. And if you deprive yourself of Christian fellowship, you're going to make the marathon that much harder. And this Christian fellowship has to be a matter of the heart. Acts chapter 242 tells us that the first church tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. One of the things I always try to stress when somebody's coming into, into membership and I always try to, maybe not, I probably don't do it well enough, but something I always I try to remind people of is to, two things, commit to, uh, to being here on Sunday mornings, you know, with COVID, there's sort of exceptions, you, you know, being engaged uh, online. And the other thing I ask people to commit to is to a small group. I think those are incredibly helpful and vital to the Christian. They're a means of having Christian fellowship. The reason why I will, I will never exercise any kind of church discipline on somebody who, doesn't, who isn't in a small group is because it has to be a matter of the heart. I'm not going to force you or anyone else to do something that I think you should be naturally doing as a Christian. Something that you should desire. Because if you see this first church, I mean, this is a Christian. This is people who just heard the gospel preached by Peter. They come to saving faith in Christ, and it tells us that one of the first things they devoted themselves to was to the fellowship. Nobody commanded them to do that. Peter just said, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And then afterwards, they just said, we want to get together. That's why it has to be a matter of the heart. That's why I'm depending upon the Lord. I'm praying and asking God that if there's anybody here who doesn't for whatever reason, want Christian fellowship or doesn't want to do any kind of pursuing, that the Lord would change their heart. Because it has to be something that they naturally desire. And that fellowship, we see, I think, from Acts chapter 2 in this first show, that this fellowship, this wanting the fellowship is, is a fruit of salvation. You just want to pursue it. Man, and the quick, oh my gosh, I just, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. 
Just a quick thing. One, just a special commendation to the ladies of our church. The ladies do an excellent, excellent job of getting together. You really do. As a pastor, that makes my heart rejoice. As a Christian brother, it makes my heart rejoice just to see that. Like, it's really good from obviously being here on Sunday mornings. Some of you are engaged in, in small groups. Some of you get together in, in, in Bible studies. Some of you seek each other out, go to each other's home, bring meals and stuff like that. And you pray for each other. I hear about all these things, and this is deeply encouraging. And if, you, if you're a lady, if you're watching this, or if you're here this morning and you haven't engaged in any kind of, in some aspects of that, then I would encourage you to, to just get involved and just be a part of that. Because it is really, really encouraging to see those things happening and pursue that kind of fellowship. Now, men, my brothers, on the other hand, we could do better. We really could. We really, really could. I'm grateful that we have here Sunday mornings. I'm grateful for the men's Bible study on Saturdays that meets. That's a form of Christian fellowship. And man, we ought to be pursuing more. We really should be. We really, really should be. I think that it's, I think even statistically, in the secular world, just men in general just are, are just content with not pursuing any kind of friendships. They're content with like their their families, like I have my kids, and I have my wife, right? It's the same also in, in the Christian world as well. You know, I'm glad that you enjoy your time with family, that you enjoy your time with your wife, that your wife is your special best friend, and she should be, but you're placing, I think, too much of your, of too much emotional or, or relational burden if you're just content with your family. I think you are. You should be pursuing, you should be trying to meet those relational needs with other men as well. That goes for me as well. I include myself in this too. I just think of David and his mighty men. These warriors who went out to battle and were fighting and they were renowned. They went out together. They looked out for each other. They protected each other. Man, that's what manly Christian fellowship should be like. Man surrounded by other mighty men going out to battle together. Looking out for each other. Encouraging one another. Praying for each other. That's good. That's what I want to strive to have in my own personal life. And I hope that you will too. Oh, man, I have something. I don't have time. I don't have time. I have one more thing, but I, I, I don't even have, I don't have time. <laughs> All right, real quick, real quick. I told you I wasn't going to give you a list of things to do, how to pursue Christian fellowship, but if I can commend one thing to you, it is this. That is table fellowship. Table fellowship. That is getting together with other Christians over a meal. Easy, right? Super easy. 
It doesn't have to be, it doesn't, have, it doesn't even have to be at your house. It could be at grabbing a coffee, it could be at a restaurant, whatever it is. Table fellowship. And man, I wish I had the time to really trace this for you in all of the Bible, because you really see this so often. You see this in the Old Testament, you see the, the, spe, the, the special feasts, the Passover, the, the, the Feast of First Fruits, you see this uh, in the uh, the, the Feast of Trumpets, they were, all, they were all, God means for them, God intended for the people to celebrate them in the context of having a feast. You see this throughout the Old Testament, Abraham, when, uh, when he was visited by the angels before they went and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Adam, uh, Abraham entertained the angels, he prepared a meal for them. In Exodus 24, 9, a crazy passage. It tells us that Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. That's mind-blowing. Later on, when Isaiah sees the vision of God, he looks like God and he says, Woe is me, I've just beheld God and I'm dead. And here are the 70 elders of Israel. They beheld God, they saw God like, wow, this is God. Let's have a meal. Let's have a drink. Let's eat. That's amazing. And then you fast forward to the New Testament, right? You have the Eucharist. The institution of the Lord's Supper, breaking bread and having wine, table fellowship. The Pharisees tended to distance themselves from the rest of the people, from sinners. What did Jesus do? He did the opposite. He went to sinners. He went into their home and ate with them. He was known for that. Jesus didn't have a home a, a pillow to lay his head in. I'm, I'm, yes, he's the son of God. He could turn stone into bread, but I'm convinced that the reason why the man never went hungry is because he always went into people's houses to have, eat, to have dinner with them and to fellowship with people. You see this? Oh, man. What we see from the Bible is that meals are an important part of communal life. Having a meal with another person, engaging, fellowshipping, talking, encouraging, even praying, getting to know another person across the table. Right? I know that it's difficult with, with COVID, man. I, just, I, I hate COVID. I really do. I just want to just punch it in the face. I'm so tired of COVID. But man, I, I, know, I know you got to do what's comfortable for you, but let's, don't let COVID be an excuse to not pursue any kind of fellowship. Please don't let that be an excuse. There are other ways to pursue fellowship with other Christians in a safe manner. I mean, even if it has to be over a computer screen, at least it's something. It's better than nothing at all. Even if we have to sit down with your computer screens and have a meal together, <laughs> watching each other eat your meal, and still, I still consider it a form of table fellowship. And also, by the way, it's a great way to invite unbelievers. Have them over your home, to open up your home to them, have a meal, and get to know them. It's a way to build trust and share the gospel. Table fellowship. So simple, so easy. But the Geico commercials, but so easy a caveman can do it. 
important thing is that we're pursuing fellowship because this is what God made us for. This is what Christ died for. We have this for us. This is a reality for us. This is intended to be encouraging to us. And we just need it. We need it. And I'm not saying we don't do it at all. I'm just saying to continue to pursue it. And if you're not pursuing, it's time to pursue it. And if you are doing it, then keep doing it. This is a means of encouragement for the saints. You need encouragement and I need encouragement. We need each other. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, the only reason we can have true and genuine fellowship with one another is because we have fellowship with you. And we have that fellowship because sin is no longer separating us from you. We've been saved. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been reconciled. And that frees us up to have an incredible fellowship and unity with you. And it also allows us to be able to have an incredible fellowship with one another. So let us not throw this gift to the side as if we don't need it. You died for this gift. And so may we use it. May we be blessed by it. And may we bless others also through this gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. In light of this sermon and this message on fellowship, I thought that one, and the Lord helped me see that one benefit of fellowship is hearing our brothers and sisters sing praises to the Lord together, to realize that we have others that are on this path with us that sing these truths, believe these truths. So let's sing in Christ alone together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And 
beautiful sound. The sound of our brothers and sisters united in one voice, singing praises to our King. There's nothing greater, and what a great gift. Our benediction this morning comes from Philippians 2. In light of Christmas and Christ coming down to us, hear these words. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Brothers and sisters, go forth pursuing the Lord in unity and fellowship with his people. You are dismissed until we return again, Lord willing, in the new year.